Hey, good morning, St. Louis, and welcome to Mind Games Radio, the psychology of performance. This is the show that examines the connection between our beliefs and how we perform, and how we perform in a variety of roles that we play in our lives. My name is Tom Mickler, and what I like to do is bring people on the show that, as I said, are going to help us learn how to raise our level of performance, and we focus on the mental side of performance, and that's what we're going to continue to do today. But today is March 2nd, and I want to send my wife happy birthday wishes. Mayor, happy birthday. I love you, hon. And for one of your birthday presents, I promise to stop introducing you as my first wife. Okay, so how's that? Happy birthday, honey. Uh, on today's show, I have asked Brian Kane to come back with us. Brian was on a few weeks ago. Brian is one of the leading peak performance coaches in the country, working with so many of the top college baseball programs. Brian's had a lot of success, and when he was on a few weeks ago, uh, I asked Brian a lot of questions about working with individual athletes and teams as well. Uh, This past week, I had a chance to catch up with Brian again, and what we focused on uh, in these segments were uh, the dynamics of the coach and the role that the coach plays in terms of performance, in terms of mental conditioning, in terms of building belief within their athletes. Today on the show, I've asked a couple of special friends of mine, Scott Brown and Sherry Weiner, to come and join me. And Scott is the varsity baseball coach at Viani High School. Sherry is a marketing director, and we are going to expand this word coach beyond the realm of athletics because in so many other areas of life, of life, what leaders do is they coach their employees, their associates, the people under them. So we're going to talk about how so many of the dynamics that we hear from Brian in the first two segments will cross over into other areas again. So again, today I want to expand that word coach and we'll see how it applies to other arenas in our lives. So again, what we will do when we come back from break is we will hear from Brian Keene for a couple of segments, and then we're going to have a little bit of a roundtable discussion on mind games, and hopefully you can take something away, apply it to one of the roles that you play in your life. Begin today to be joined by peak performance and mental conditioning coach Brian Kane. Brian joined us a few weeks ago and gave us some great insights, some great pointers in working with athletes and helping them hone their mental game and we talked about so many different things that day uh folks if you if you want that a copy of that show we'll talk about how you can get to that later on they were going to focus on coaches specifically and the impact they have on their players first of all brian good morning how are you sir tom i'm doing outstanding i appreciate you guys having me back on man how are you doing today i'm doing well where are you today brian where, where what's going on for you this week uh, you know, I actually just got back. Uh, I did a little trip down to, to Waco, Texas, and spent some time at Baylor University with their men's tennis and baseball program, and then got to go down to Port St. Lucie, Florida, with the University of Michigan baseball team. I got to play at the Mets uh, spring training complex, which, which was pretty cool. And I'm back in Vermont for two days to wash my clothes, pack my bag, get a home-cooked meal, and head off to the University of Georgia to go spend some time with the dogs. So it's right. uh, fast-paced, but that's the way I like it. Yeah, it sounds like you're having fun, though. Oh, man, it's unbelievable. I yeah. absolutely love it. Yeah. Hey, let's get into it. What I want to do, Brian, is I want to do ten, a couple of segments with you and then discuss with some coaches uh, just what you give us today and how we can help the coaches here and in the St. Louis area and beyond apply what we learned from you today. So 
Let's get rolling. Brian, my first question to you. When you come in to work with a program, one of the things that you told us in the first interview that I really appreciated was there there are no cookie-cutter approaches in sports counseling and performance counseling. And, and what you do when you come in is you know every situation is unique, and you do a needs assessment. And I'm sure you're talking with as many people as you can in that particular system and that particular community. Give us an idea of what this looks like with the coach. You talk to you talk with the coach. I'm guessing you talk with the coach in every situation. And then, again, I'm, I'm also assuming that case by case, maybe the involvement that you have with the coach looks a little bit different in every situation. Take it from there. Yeah, Tom. I mean, it's really what I do is it was I go in as a mental conditioning and peak performance coach. You know, it is really I go in and I'm an extension of the coach's staff for a couple days. And, you know, hopefully that develops into a relationship with lasts for that coach's entire career. And I look at myself as almost more assistant coach than I do, uh, you know, sports psychologist per se, even mm-hmm. though I have a degree in sports psychology. And when I go in, uh, it's unique because I'm able to offer a perspective uh, of a program as, as an outsider, but who also has inside information, meaning I know what the coach is trying to accomplish. We've communicated about his core values of his program, about his philosophy, and then I get to go in and see, well, is this being accomplished? Is this being done? Because sometimes when you're in the battle every day, I think that's why sometimes why bringing in an outside person is so valuable, is that when you're in the battle every day, sometimes you become numb to or desensitize some of the things that are there, you just don't see them. So I go in and and do that needs assessment, and really the first thing that I try to go after is what are the core covenants of your program? And when I was a high school athletic director and coach for seven years, the guy who had a tremendous impact on my career was a guy named Bruce Brown out of Seattle, Washington. I heard Bruce speak at a number of AD conferences, a number of coaches' conferences, and I remember he said the first thing that a great coach does is establishes core values or core covenants. I'll use those two words interchangeable, values, covenants, uh, for a program. And really says this is who this is who we are, this is what we stand for, and this is what it looks like when we play. And I you know I had been doing a lot of that in my career, uh, studying under Ken Revisa at Cal State Fullerton, and we used to call it a mission statement. A lot of it's the same thing. But when we created a mission statement, it was always a paragraph that just kind of sat on a wall and didn't have a lot of substance to it. It wasn't something you could see in action every day. And, you know, through my learning process under Ken and through, you know, reading Bruce Brown stuff and hearing him speak and having him come to Vermont and develop a relationship with him and amongst a bunch of other uh, the coaches I've had a chance to work with because, you know, I'm unique in that I get to jump into – you know, just in the last week, I mean, I was at Baylor, I was at Michigan, I'm going to Georgia, I was at TCU. I have the wonderful opportunity to be involved with some of the greatest coaches in the game. And everywhere I go, I go in with a learner's perspective first, and then be able to see what all these different programs do and put it together into kind of one what I would call ideal system where a lot of other coaches aren't able to do that because they can't get into those other trees to learn what those different people are doing. But I think in any program – the first thing that I go after is what are your core covenants, what are your core values, what are the three to four terms or three to four words that describe your program. And I'll share, you know, Baylor baseball just because I was there, and, you know, their, their core values are character, competence, and culture. And what that means to them is it means, you know, having ability and having awareness, which would be 
the competence, having integrity and having loyalty, which is going to be their character, and having humility and having confidence, which is kind of their culture. So they've really identified, you know, what that looks like, you know, on the field, in practice, in the community, and then also in school. You know, the University of Michigan, their baseball program has done the same thing, and, and they've came up with, you know, their character traits or core values are going to be relentless, blue-collar, selfless, confident, and disciplined. Mm-hmm. And they identify what, what that looks like to be a Michigan baseball player, again, in those same key areas of community, school, on-field for practice, on-field for games. They've even gone as far as saying, you know, in our mental conditioning and physical conditioning and also in nutrition. So it's really, really clear as to what that looks like. And then, you know, there's a bunch of steps after that in the sense of having players create personal development plans which relate back to what it looks like to live the core values. And it's really a whole, you know, culture-creating system that extends off of who it is you want to be. Brian, let me focus on that word culture for a second because I know, and I've said it often on this program, that as a professional counselor, I know that my feelings towards the client as I'm walking in the room to meet with them become a part of that context. Um, it's a fairly popular theory out of physics uh, developed a long time ago that, that challenges the idea that the observer is separate from what's being observed. And actually, the theory uh, posits that the observer and the observed are actually one unit. So when I walk in the room as a human being, what comes in with me are my feelings, my thoughts, my attitudes towards the people in the room. Now, I may not say those things out loud to them, but at some point in time, at some level, they're going to know it. Same with a coach. So you can hear those words, character, competence, culture. But do you spend time just observing the coach, just getting a sense of what does it feel like to be around this person? They might be saying all the right things, but what is the feeling that is transmitted and then how the players react to that? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. You know, one of the first things I remember Ken Revisit saying is that when you go in to be an observer, you have to leave all your all your preconceived notions at the door and just how how much he emphasized that uh you know and how important it was to be you know that fly on the wall the casual observer really you said it i mean when i go in you know i am breaking down i always have my radar on in the sense of trying to break down everything from the way that a coach talks to the team do they take their sunglasses off or do they leave their sunglasses on because mm-hmm. if they take their sunglasses off now they're athletes to see their eyes when they're talking to the team are their athletes do their athletes have their sunglasses on or off if an athlete breaks eye contact with the coach does the coach say anything about it does he make that important point to have eye contact mm-hmm. you know so there's all these things that you're looking at and so much of that is just the experience that I've been able to gain from Ken and from being in different programs to go in and say, hey, you know, here, here are examples of the way that you said your core values line up. Here's what I've seen in other great programs. Here's what I see here, and here's what I think you can do differently. So, you know, going in with that empty cup and really being an observer to give, you know, uh, credit to what they're doing well, but also give challenges to what they might be able to do better is important. You know, at the end of the last show that you joined us for, you mentioned that uh, you, you took things to a larger perspective, and, and you were talking about life, and you were talking about, hey, you know what, nobody gets out of this thing alive, and, you know, let's uh, help each other as best we can. Let's 
perform to the best of our abilities and, and reach what we're meant to be. Uh, what percentage, Brian, do you think uh, the coaches that you work with really understand what their role is really about beyond wins and losses? Well, I think it varies at all different levels. I think at every point during your career, you're on a continuum and you're on a sliding scale. It's not that, you know, at one point you get to a point in your career where it's about teaching life lessons and, you know, the athlete comes first. And then all of a sudden, guess what? You start winning games. You get bigger contracts. You all of a sudden, now there's more pressure for your job. All of a sudden, you've said, hey, we need to have a bigger stadium and more of this and more of that. And now all of a sudden, guess what? If you don't win, you don't have a job. Mm-hmm. So your perspective and your priorities change, and now it becomes about winning first, and maybe you've sacrificed some relationships with your athlete subconsciously because you think you have to you have to take a different approach to win, and you forget what got you there. And I see that a lot, Tom, that when people have a certain level of success, they often forget to do the little things that got them there because now they get pulled to go do different things, whether it's more public appearances, more media, more alumni functions, whatever it is. You know, this success can be a trap. And often when you have a high level of success, I see a commonplace that you get away from what you're doing. But I think, you know, for a person to get into coaching, Somewhere in their soul, there has got to be that importance that they're going to give back life lessons through sports. And I think that all people get into coaching, uh, not so much that they love the sport, that they're a fan of the sport, but I think it's that they love working with people. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we, we sometimes we fall away from that, but it's always important to come back to that. So I always like to start every year with the question, hey, how do you want to be remembered? Mm-hmm. How do you, if this was your last season you were ever going to coach and there was going to be a banquet at the end of the season in your honor, what would you want people to say about you? And just by asking that question, what it does is it gets the coach to think about, well, how do I want to be remembered and am I coaching that way? Sure. Very powerful. Sure. Good stuff. Brian, let's take a break real quick and we'll bring you right back and we're going to get into Tarlet's Bricks, Fish Hooks, and Pride a little bit on 590 The Fan, KFNS, KFNS.com. to Mind Games, presented by Cornerstone Mortgage on Ledoux Road. And we are back talking with Peak Performance Coach Brian Kane. Brian, uh, we're focusing today, obviously, on, on coaches. And a question that I have uh, is, how do you help a coach separate intensity, which so many of the great coaches have and you can just feel it from them separating intensity from tension because there's such a big difference we had a a guy here in st louis very popular very very successful manager i should say of the baseball cardinals tony la russa after every game tony would have a press conference uh where he's answering questions with the local writers and the the broadcast you would that press conference would be broadcasted, and you could just feel the tension in the room. Tony never really smiled. Uh, Sometimes I really felt sorry for those guys, and yet it was Tony's intensity that I came to respect over the years because he, he had so much success. Can you address that a little bit as far as helping a coach separate their intensity from their tension, which is going to have a, a, an effect on performance? 
you know, Tom, I think that both intensity and tension are both necessary to be successful. I mean, I think if you look at anyone who's ultimately successful, they put some self-induced tension and pressure on themselves to go through the daily grind, do what it is they need to do to be successful. So I don't think tension is a bad thing. I mean, as, as uh, you've heard, right, with no pressure, there's no diamonds. So I think there's got to be a certain level of pressure that's put on yourself and put on your team, but you've got to have that balance. And the balance has got to come in from being intense and being focused, right, is the word that I'll use probably more intense, is just be focused on what it is you're trying to do. What are you trying to do in this one moment? You're trying to win this pitch. What W-I-N, run a win, focus on what's important now, comes back to our three Ps of peak performance that we lay out and put those bricks, fish, hooks, and pride, live in the present, focus on the process, and stay positive. And I think sometimes people will misconstrue a person's intensity for being tense. And I think when you're tense, it's that red light mentality that we talk about, like driving a car, right? Drive a car, come to a green light, you go. Drive a car, come to a red light, you stop. Mm -hmm. When you're tense, you're going to recognize that because your heart rate's going to go up. You're going to recognize that because you're going to be clenching your teeth. You might recognize that you're tense because you have some low back pain. You know, and, and Phil Jackson in his great book, Sacred Hoops, says that, you know, if I if my heart rate goes over 100, I know I'm going to make a mistake out of emotion because I'm not mm. in control. Right. So I think for one, for the coaches and athletes out there listening, is understanding the difference between a, a heightened focus and locked in to the present moment and tension. And where tension, I think, is is that when you have red lights as a head coach and you're nervous uh, and you project that nervousness, I think you can be nervous. I mean, George St. Pierre, the UFC world champion, is always nervous before he fights. Mm -hmm. I'm always nervous before I get on a phone call like this or I go to speak in front of an audience. You just can't act nervous. Right, you got to always ABC. You got to always behave confidently as the leader because that's what's going to become contagious. I don't think it's necessarily how you feel, but how you act. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like you said, you know, if you can just crack a smile, sometimes that's also going to break a lot of the tension. And one of the things that work a lot with coaches on is I'll actually videotape them and mic them up in the dugout or on the sideline during a game, and then I'll just sit down with them afterwards and watch their body language during the game. You don't mm -hmm. even see the game. All you see is their body language. And I just say, look at what you're projecting, because you don't know is that when you're in the battle, you don't watch yourself. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, it's very, very powerful. So for the coaches watching this who uh, are comfortable enough in their own skin to do this, have someone videotape you during a game and mic you up and just watch your body language and see how that's contagious amongst your team. I think that's a great idea, Brian. Coming from the book Toilets, Bricks, Fish Hooks, and Pride, one of the one of the simple tips that you gave, because it's, this happens so often, is that when a coach is telling a player to just relax. But really what that does is it puts the, the player in a paradoxical situation. It would be like me saying to you right now, Brian, say something funny for us. And, and it's probably about the last thing you're going to be able to do is say something funny for us because the spontaneity is robbed of the moment. And now there's another command to try to respond to. So when a player hears that, just relax, well, they I'm sure they want to, but they've just received a command that now is twice as difficult to carry. The simple tip of telling a, of a coach telling a player to breathe, what a difference in a message there. Oh, no question. And I think it's, you know, I had a basketball coach I worked with, and I remember videotaping him, and this is exactly the point. If he was on a sideline jumping up and down going, relax, relax, <laughs> you know, relax. 
Let me go down. I said, I watched himself, and I go, man, you're the one who needs to relax. This is right. beautiful. And he starts laughing because he didn't know that that's what he was doing. But, you know, it's like they're saying communication, 70% of the message is delivered by your body language. So, sure. you know, it's almost more, almost more important how you say it and how you look when you say it than what it is you actually say. But you hit the nail exactly on the head is that rather than tell the guy to relax, which means, hey, I, it looks like you're stressed out, and I, your coach, know you're stressed out, so why don't you learn to relax? And the kid doesn't know how to relax, or else they would, so they get more stressed out, and it just compounds. That's when you got to say, hey, step out, take a breath, slow the game down, lock back in and win this pitch, or lock back in and win this play. And, you know, I have a personal experience with that just from my career as a guy who was a college pitcher who probably played more like a linebacker than he did a pitcher, <laughs> just with a complete meathead and primal pitcher who did everything harder, which meant I got hit harder. And I always had players and coaches, teammates of mine, because they cared about me, saying, Kane, hey, you got to learn how to relax. Mm-hmm. But no one, ever, no one ever taught me how to relax until my senior year of college I needed, I needed, uh, you know, I needed nine credits to graduate, but I needed 12 to be NCAA eligible to play. So I took a stress management class, and it was the most beneficial class I took ever mm-hmm, because it was, was with the it was with the gymnastics coach, and all he had us do, Gary Browning, was we laid down on a mat, and he would teach us how to breathe and teach us how to control tension in our bodies. And Tom, it was life changing for me because oh, yeah. from that point moving forward, I realized. Oh, this is how you relax. And it yeah. changed my career. And everything emanates from that. I'm, I'm just picturing that coach jumping up and down, yelling "relax," and, and the parents watching that, rushing up to their to their little kids after the game. And they maybe they're high school players, but some of them are still treating them like little kids and wanting to know what that coach said. So, you know, you have a whole community around the player that that the coach has to deal with as well, too which makes it even more challenging. But I want to go back to the book, Toilets, Bricks, Fish Hooks, and Pride. I want to focus on the pride part, and I'm going to ask the coaches, the people listening, go out and get this book. You'll learn the specific things about what Toilets, Bricks, and Fish Hooks mean, but let's talk about pride here because I think there's an important message that that you bring in terms of how to approach every day and how to approach every day with a search for excellence. Talk a little bit about pride, Brian. Well, to me, pride, Tom, is really an acronym that has been built, and I'm sure people have heard it before, that it's personal responsibility and daily excellence. And we talk about excellence as a level of performance that's higher than winning. You know, winning is important, but it's not enough. Uh, Excellence is where you're trying to get. And I say that because if you want to win a national championship, and the teams that bring me in to work with them, it's for one reason. It's to win a national championship. And to do that, you've got to play well consistently. Because let's take baseball, for example. right? Baseball is a marathon, not a sprint. And if you play well once in a while, sprint, instead of playing well over the long haul of the season, marathon, you're not going to be there at the end. So when you compete, you're not competing against the other team. You're competing against yourself, and you're competing against the game to play to your best ability and play the game as hard and as fast and as well as it possibly can be played. And that commitment to daily excellence, that commitment to a present moment focus of not counting the day, but making every single day truly count is what's going to help you get to that level of excellence where you give yourself the best chance to win that championship. And as you know, that needs to extend beyond the playing field, beyond the game field, beyond the practice field, into other areas of life. And we're not talking about perfection. There's an important difference, I think, to make in terms of separating excellence from perfection. Excellence includes, you know you're going to make some mistakes. 
I've, I've really embraced this, message, this, this message from Ken Revisa as far as the garbage is going to hit the fan. It's what do you do when it does hit the fan. So, Brian, I think that that's a great message that you're giving us right there. And what I'd like to do is we're going to take what we've learned from you today, and, and after this segment, we're going to discuss it with some coaches here in the studio. So what I'd like to do, Brian, is invite you back on the show sometime soon. I know you're a busy guy. But you're bringing so much value to our listeners, uh, really well worth it for us to ask you to come back and, and for you to consider that if you wouldn't mind doing so. Um, you know, it's always an honor for me to be able to spend time with you and spend time with your listeners. And uh, please don't ever hesitate to ask. I will, you know, I will make time to, uh, to do this. It's important to me that I give back because, you know, I'm, I'm 34 years old. I'm not getting any younger, and I don't know how much time i got left on this earth. But, damn it, I want to give as much as I possibly can. So anytime. I have an opportunity to uh, educate about excellence and educate about how people can live their life better today. Uh, I want to do it. So please don't hesitate to contact me anytime. All right, Brian. Thanks so much. Enjoy your day in Vermont and be safe in your travels, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. You too. And thanks again for having me on. And if anyone is interested in, in you know, visiting my website and signing up for my newsletter, I do put out information uh, on a weekly basis there. And my website is briancain.com, B-R-I-A-N-C-A-I-N.com. And if there's anyone out there, uh, in the Twitter world, my handle was at briancainpeak. And I'd love just for people to tweet at me, uh, anything that they got out of this interview because I just like to hear, you know, what people are getting out of, uh, our time together. So thanks again, Tom. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for reminding me or thanks for adding that at the end there. I meant to ask you that. So thanks so much, Brian. We will talk to you soon, bro. Take care. All right. Thank you. Okay. Let's have a break, and we'll come back, and we'll break down with coaches that we have here with us today, and we will be back in a moment uh, broadcasting live from the Bomberito Automotive Group Studios on 590 The Fan, KFNS, com. You're listening to Mind Games, presented by Cornerstone Mortgage on Ledoux Road. And we're back live in the studio. Again, I'm your host, Tom Mickler, and I am joined today by some friends. Uh, Scott Brown is the varsity baseball coach at Vianney High School. Annie Beekman has been able to join us as well, too, the varsity soccer coach at Ursuline. Prior to Ursuline was at Incarnate Word, as Annie says, forever. And then, as well, we're joined by Sherry Weiner, who is a director of marketing for Katie Industries. And we're going to hear from each one of these people as far as what they took away from Brian's talk. And, again, before we heard Brian's segments, I said I want to expand this word coach uh, because so many leaders do so much coaching with their uh, associates, with their their players. And uh, we're going to hear from each one of these people as far as what they took away and then maybe what you can take away from the show uh, Annie, if I can start with you, as far as what you heard from Brian Keane, what stood out to you? As far as helping uh, co- coaches facilitate uh, the, you know, the kids, the athletes, to reach their uh, full potential, uh, I really believe in being evaluated by someone with, with fresh you know, eyes and ears. So anytime you can bring in someone to watch you interact you know, with the kids, because you have in your head that, oh, yeah, I'm doing all these things he's saying. I'm you know, creating these covenants and, you know, we're making our list and our goals, but are we really taking the time out to, to do it throughout the whole season? Um, so I think it's great that he suggested someone come in and observe, um, are you truly, you know, doing what you're saying you want to do, you want to accomplish? Um, so that was huge for me. But also, um, I really 
believe in leaving a legacy and building relationships and, you know, taking that information to the kids. You know, how do you want to be remembered? How do the kids want to be remembered? How do I want them to remember me? So communication is huge. Um, and as far as implementing our plan, you know, everything from visual, um, videos, emails, posting things, something I love to do is shout outs during a session, you know, and it could be anything that reflects our values. Was there someone that really implement or implemented and reinforced what we say, you know, we're trying to accomplish or who we are? And so the kids can uh, recognize their their own teammates in that mm-hmm. manner. And that's a fun little thing to do. Um, but we are constantly reinforcing our message uh, in various ways. You know, we talk uh, during commercial about the importance of the relationship and how it, it can sound somewhat trite, but everything it's flows everything. from there. It really is. The relationships you have with the players um, and the relationships players have with each other. And, you know, no one cares what you know until they know you care. They're not going to oh, be great. willing to listen to you until they um, have that trust and understand that you are there to help them, to guide them, to help them reach their potential. Okay, repeat that for again. No one... Nobody know, Nobody cares what you know until they know you care. Okay. And, you know, Brian had touched on that about, again, with, with body language, you could have two people saying the same thing. But if one is, you know, saying it and they're not really, you don't see the passion, you don't think they're really believing it, or maybe... Um, you know, they're getting all excited and the message is getting lost. And then you have someone sincerely who cares about you and you know they care because they've proven it to you through mm-hmm. um, past communication. They're more willing to sit and listen and and really take it to heart. Okay, I want to remember what you said there. I'm going to move to Scott and stay within the sports arena for a minute. Scott, you've been a follower of Brian Keynes. You've seen him uh, in person yourself a couple of different times. So. I think a lot of his words might be familiar to you. Was there something today that was reinforced or something new that stood out to you? I think the things that got reinforced really is uh, he talked about his the core covenants, and, and it's something that you know, I think as coaches you realize that you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. And, and long ago I picked up a, a set of 12 core covenants from Lou Holtz, and I sort of adapted them to my program. And it's something that you know I'm, I'm glad that Brian talks about them because it's something that we I really believe in. <clears throat> I think I need to really – make sure our players really believe in it. We talk about it a lot, um, but it's really about doing things the right way every single day. It's, it's making sure you take care of your business because if you don't take care of your business, you're not going to be a help to the team. Um, I talk a lot about rules as well, too. Um, I know that everybody wants to be a starter. Everybody wants to be a, a really important player on the team, um, but that's not going to happen. Everybody has different abilities. Mm-hmm. But I think the one thing that I really try to emphasize um, is I try to emphasize everybody's got a role on the team, and every mm-hmm. role is extremely important. Um, I don't think everybody always believes that. They don't always understand it, but um, the ones that do, uh, they really help the team out a lot mm-hmm. because then when they're called on to actually have that, to participate in their role in the way they're, they're supposed to, I mean, they're able to succeed and actually help the team. So that's a different mental approach with that role player, isn't it? It is. Um, you know, I'm going to go back to a, a kid, uh, and it was actually a kid I coached his junior year. Um, didn't coach him his senior year over at CBC uh, when I was there. Um, but I think he was extremely important to that team winning the state baseball championship. And, um, you know, it, it was a kid that wanted to play. His dad was a very successful baseball player, mm-hmm. um, played AAA. And, um, you know, he ended up becoming just simply a pinch runner, a courtesy runner for him. And he could have actually 
really been a detriment to the team because he could have just simply as a senior said, you know what, this is what I wanted. I mm-hmm. wanted to be a starter. Um, but somewhere about halfway through the season, I watched and I saw him embrace that role, and he did the best he could with it. And it was something where he could have been a detriment to the team, but he actually embraced that role, and every time he went out there, he was important. And I think that when you have players that are like that and you convince them as a coach to really accept that role, you know, your team will be successful. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. I mean, again, separating or making the distinction in terms of mental preparation for a role player versus a starter. I want to move to Sherry Wainer, though. Sherry's background also includes, uh, along with being the director of marketing and international development for Katie Industries, Sherry, your background includes working at Merits and then working for United Parcel Service. You were really the driving force in, in branding what has become now the UPS store, correct? I was, yes, that's correct. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you. Talk a little bit about what you heard. Uh, You've heard these two coaches talk, but you're coming from a business environment. And what things stood out to you, and what do you take away, or what do you try to implement, or what was reinforced, wherever you want to take that? Well, there's so much, and I'm going to try to bubble it up to the top, and it's about nonverbal communication. He talked about, does the coach take off his sunglasses? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me translate that to business. You're on your cell phone, you're looking at your screen, and there's somebody already sitting in your office. Mm-hmm. And your employee comes in and needs to talk to you. So I, I, when I was listening to him talk about, does the coach take off his sunglasses, I went through about 18 examples just from yesterday. Did I turn around from my screen? Did I sit my iPhone down? So it's, and again, that whole concept of managing the balance between the tension so when somebody comes in, there's a million things going on and the intensity. So it helps reinforce that when you're coaching somebody to figure out how to solve their own problem, you have to look them in the eye. And I think what you said, Annie, which really resonated with me, they're not going to really care how you guide them unless they know you care. Mm-hmm. He asked a question about what do you want to be remembered for, and I made a mental note. Gee, if I left my job tomorrow... What would I want these guys to think about me? And it's really simple. I want them to think that I cared about their individual success. Okay. I want to follow up on something that you said there as far as, you know, you're in your office. You've got a lot of different things going on. Uh, the tension you might be feeling from that. Uh, there's a very popular uh, popular uh, YouTube out about a baseball player by the name of uh, Evan Longoria, who was a student of Ken Revis's. Ken was Brian Kane's mentor. Uh, in this YouTube, uh, Longoria talks about, let's say if he's missed his pitch at the plate, he has to reset. And what he does is he looks to the top of the left field foul pole because he knows in every stadium that he plays in there's going to be a, a left field foul pole. So in terms of feeling that tension, finding a way to reset in that moment, I'll need to do that also with a client. One leaves the room, the next one's coming in, taking a couple of seconds to take a breath, clear my mind, find out what I'm feeling, find out what's going on with me. But the tension that you have to feel as a director of marketing of a large company in trying to reset a challenge. It really is. And to me, um, I always try to pull back in my chair. Okay. All right, because that's more relaxed. I tend to be over mm-hmm. it. So I pull back in my chair, I take, tell them to sit down, and I just wait I wait for them. Mm, I don't come right at them. Mm -hmm. Little things, too. uh, Intensity, tension. Most of the time when somebody's coming, I have some great people. I'm very lucky. But Mm -hmm. most of the time when they're coming in, it's because there's a problem. Right. Right? 
And this whole idea of coaching and getting them to get to the next level, look, this is going on, Sherry, what do I do? And I don't tell them what to do ever. Mm -hmm. And, And I'm very careful about how I ask this question. I'll say to them, well, what do you know already? Okay. What do you know? And then I'll start asking them questions mm-hmm. because then that empowers them to realize I already know the answer, but I'm she's coaching me on what to think about to get to the answer. Okay. But take a step back, pull back in my chair, wait for them. So you're bringing them into the problem solving. Absolutely, sure. because they know how to solve the problem. And I think I agree. You know, they really do because they're, they're there. They know what's going on. Brian talked about, uh, you know, identifying the, the core values, the core co- uh, covenant, what we used to call a mission statement that would hang on a wall. Coaches, how do you create substance? Let me just leave that hanging in the air there. How do you create substance? I think you got to make time for it. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's one thing with coaches that – you want to spend so much time with the practices, sometimes you forget about the mental part. You know it's important, but you're so wrapped up in trying to get everything accomplished that you want to physically for that day that you sometimes forget about taking that maybe 10, 15 minutes to really focus on the mental part. And maybe it's the start of practice so they can get sort of, I mean, kids, they have a lot to, to deal with. I mm-hmm. mean, they've been in class all day long, and now they can come out here uh, to practice, and you're expecting them to be 100%. And they do need time to wind down. They need something to sort of give them that break to separate, as we've said, you know, between the schoolwork and now we've got to get something accomplished at baseball. And I think with the covenants, the more you can reinforce them of how important they are to you, the more important they'll be to them. Um, and it can't just be something that hangs on the wall. You've got to talk about it. You've got to make sure that that you are an example for them as well, too, and that you recognize when somebody does something well, maybe bring it up to the team and say, hey, look, this is something that really went on today that, that you know, Johnny really did a great job with. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's the thing. You just got to take time and, and make it important to the team. You have to be that person. Yeah. I, as a coach, that's your job. Uh, this is my favorite part about coaching is taking those moments. You got uh, such a big grin on your face right it. now. You're ready to pop out your chair. Right? I love this. Hold her down with your chair. <laughs> I love it. You know, because in the beginning of the season, you know, absolutely important to – you know, go over the covenants, and it has to be from the team. It has to be what they truly believe in that will make us successful. They have to be a part of the process because they're the ones that are going to carry it out. And so for me, uh, I love to plan, you know, everything. Like I said earlier is we'll do videos at the beginning of the week. We'll um, send emails, positive quotes. We'll um, do icebreakers at the beginning of the practice because they're coming out of school, like you said, a little tired, sometimes a little hungry, and, and instead of just jumping right into something, you know, totally serious, we'll do something that doesn't even have to do anything to do with soccer, but to get them laughing, get them loose, and then we focus, and then we get going and, and have a great time. We just need to take those little breaks and have uh, lots of reminders through notes, uh, bonding things where we go play laser tag, decorate each other's houses, you know, dinners. Um, it's all about building those relationships. It can't be about the X's and O's mm-hmm. because that uh, – if you miss out on, on relationships, they're not going to come together and play like a unit that you want them to. Mm-hmm. Sherry, in the business world. Well, I have a, a habit of when we have a meeting with another group, a very large group of people, and my team's there. After the meeting, we always stay back. And in the old UPS days, we called this pre- and post-trip. Oh, I don't sure. know if you remember that term. <laughs> I do. But I ask them, okay, so what was what was really good about this meeting and what was really bad? And they themselves now, because they know it's coming, we work towards whether we accomplished what we said we wanted to in the meeting. 
And then that brings it back to the substance, what we were trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. If you stop and do that after the moment, then the next time we have to go deal, and when I say deal, work with that department to try to get some common ground, mm-hmm. they know where they are. They know it's, to use the baseball, it's the bottom of the sixth and we're down by two. They know they have to put some runs on the board, or they know we're ahead, we got to play good defense. Sure. Whatever the case is, but if you don't stop after that meeting and regroup, you lose momentum. What about stopping during the meeting? If you know that a meeting's not on track, this is one of the things that I really picked up from uh, the Dutch technical advisor, Jan Preen, when, when he talked with coaches here, evaluating the, the process, evaluating what's happening in front of you right then and there. And if it's not going the way you want, you have to identify why is that. Will you yeah. stop a meeting? Oh, I've almost every meeting gets stopped. Okay. <laughs> and, and the rules are that I'm not the only one that gets to stop the meeting. Okay. And they all know, and one of them is getting really better at it over time. He's getting more and more confident. But they all know that we're all gatekeepers mm-hmm. of our own, of each other's time and our own. And when we're not really on track or it's not going the way we want it, any one of us can say, time okay. out. And, and we do that. We use that hand signal, time mm-hmm. out. Um, I had to teach a lot of people what that meant because, you know, you've got... Mm-hmm. I, I deal with a lot of international cultures, mm-hmm. so some people that I work with on a daily basis have no, no idea what I mean when I sure. make the timeout sign. So you really have to get people to take responsibility. It's not just my role to make sure the meeting's going well. Right. Yeah. So you created the quality. Absolutely. Right. Okay, so when, if we're talking about core values again, do you identify what it looks like specifically? Or a standard of excellence? Do you say, here's what it looks like, here's what a minimum standard of excellence looks like? Oh, absolutely. And we put it in writing, and the kids, we have copies in the locker room, copies that they take home and put on their mirror. And um, it's very, um, they're standards. These are non-negotiables. This is who we are. This is how we behave. You know, everything from we show up on time and dressed and ready to go, and we hold each other accountable. Uh, The kids evaluate me. They evaluate each other. Uh, and we just keep working to that excellence. Mm-hmm. I think that's especially true. I, I especially bring this up a lot of times when we uh, have to deal with a, a young man because of grades. You know, if he's sort of struggling with class or maybe he messed around in class, and um, I bring it out. I mean, I will show it to him that, hey, that's one of our core covenants. You're going to do the best you can. You're going to try to achieve as high grades as you possibly can because as a team, you know, we want to get as high as GPA as we can mm-hmm. because it's being successful and trying to be successful in everything you can, everything, because it will carry over the baseball field. I've talked to a lot of coaches and a lot of scouts through the years, and one of the first questions I'll always ask is, how is he in the classroom? Mm-hmm. Because they know that if he is a hard worker in the classroom, that will be what carries over on the baseball field mm-hmm. as well, too. And if they're lazy in the classroom, eventually that shows up in the baseball field as well, too. Sure. Everything counts. Yes. You know, How do you want to be remembered? person that really cared about my players. Um you know, that really got that message across to them that I really cared. I taught them baseball, um, made them better every single day, mm-hmm. um, got them to achieve as high as they possibly could. But I think the biggest thing is that the, that they know that I care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, two years ago, <clears throat> last year, um, I had a young man that, uh, you know, really meant a lot to me. And I uh, only had him for one year, mm-hmm. a kid named Clay Pfeiffer. And this past week, it was a year ago that he was killed in a car accident. No. And, um, you know, that was really tough. But it was something sure. that, you know, his 
parents passed on to me that, you know, he didn't start as a junior, didn't play a whole lot at all, and um, really was a big part of our team my senior year when we went third state. And uh, that was the thing that was important to me, that he knew I cared about him, and they appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I hope that everybody knows that I really do. I really care about all of them. I appreciate you bringing that up, and, and actually we are at the end of our time, and Scott, your answer mirrors Annie's and, and Sherry's as well, too, in terms of wanting to care. For me, I will echo also what Annie said as far as if you're a coach, get an outside perspective. Uh, find out what you don't know. Be willing to take that step. Sherry, Annie, uh, Scott, thank you so much for coming down and taking time out of your busy days. All right. Glad to have you here on Mind Games Thank Radio. You. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Have a great day. We are over and out on Mind Games Radio. Yeah.